Welcome. We are so glad you've joined us today. Are you ready for another Bayside Christian Church podcast? Let's get straight into it. Thank you very much. You be seated. Uh, it's good to be here with you. If you're the type that likes following actual Bible, Acts chapter 8. We're going to get there in just a second. If you're not wanting to follow along in the Bible, that's okay. I've made really easy to follow along slides to help us follow along. So it's so good to be here with you. Uh, as Pastor Ross said, um, we do have a resource table there at the back. I didn't bring my whole resource table. I only brought the new stuff I've done in the last couple years uh, just to be a good citizen and play ball with churches with space issues. So um, so that's back there, USBs, audio, video. The only thing I would add to what he said is that, um, if you don't know this, 100% of what we make from that we give to the poor. So we have uh, three homes in China that look after children with mental disabilities. Two in Hinyang, one in Changsha. We also have a rescue home in Cape Town that gets girls out of the sex industry, off drugs, high school educated, and job trained, so we could do our part to break the cycle of poverty in the Cape Flats, all right? So that's back there. Um, you can come make your, uh, just, uh, you, I am here by myself tonight, so just be patient. If there's a lot standing there, um, we, will, we, we will get to it, all right? So um, I'd like to thank you all for coming out. Um, if, you, if you're like me and you have less anxiety if you know what's going to happen, because see, if you're here tonight and you're over 40, right, it's an act of faith to, it, look, people over 40 don't do things outside after seven, right? <laughs> we, like, 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 we don't do that. I'm 45. Like, I've traveled the world, right? And I'm like, you know, sometimes people say, hey, man, you want to go to a movie or something? I'm like, what, what time does it start? They're like 745. I'm like, what am I, an animal? Are you kidding me? Um, in a room this size, uh, th- there's, there's at least 10% of those over 40 who are already protractively ca- calculating their bedtime, right? So I get it. I, I, I get it. It's no worries. It's no, it's no worries. So, um, so let, let, me, uh, let me make a commitment to you. We will honor your time. Um, it, it, when you open the Bible, which is my task, um, you have to ask two questions. One, what happened? And two, more importantly, what's happening in us right now because of what happened? So uh, so take me about, I don't know, 15 minutes to explain what happened. And then we'll spend the rest of the time putting language around what's happening in us because of that. And, um, you know, looking at the clock right now, you, we'll, be, we'll be done by 8.10, which means um, you'll, uh, you'll be home in time to watch my kitchen rules or whatever. And uh, make yourself your night beverage of choice. And then, uh, and then for those of you who are calculating your bedtime, uh, you can sort of protract that out. Um, so, because here's the, here's the thing. I'm, I'm making an assumption. Most people here are fully devoted followers of Jesus. If you're not, I would urge you to make that decision. But I, I want to talk to followers of Jesus uh, about what the church, where the church is going. Um, I, I get asked this all the time, like, Shane, where's the church? Go- What's it going to look like after this? Surely we're not going to waste all this, right? So um, I, I have at least one answer to that. I'm going to go and tell you. I have a lot of confidence in this. Um, I can go and tell you leaders at the highest levels are already on board with this. Uh, and so the problem is, is that pastor of a church can only lead his organization as fast as the slowest moving cog in the wheel. And so I want to put some language around this because uh, words don't matter. Words matter less than how people picture words functioning. So, so if I say God, that doesn't matter. What matters is your primary imagination of what God is. If, if I say Jesus, what matters is how you picture that working. If I say forgiveness, so, so, so there's, a way, there's a way to say something that's true that creates a not true imagination. Let, let me give you an example. I'm going to say something true, and it will definitely create an imagination in your head that is not true. All right? Here it is. Ready? Jesus is your judge, and one day you will stand in front of Jesus, and he will judge you. True or not? Yeah, true. It's very true. But the problem is, is the picture it creates. 
I've asked this all over the world. Almost 100% of people say, when I say that, they picture a heavenly courtroom and Jesus is reviewing your life and deciding if you're guilty or not guilty or in or out or whatever the case may be. The, the problem with that is, is that the Hebrew word for judge is not a judicial officer. The Hebrew word for judge is somebody anointed by God to set you free. And, and, and you already knew that. There, there's an entire book in the Bible called the book of Judges. Those people aren't judicial officers. They're people anointed by God to set you free. So, so the problem is we say, Jesus is your judge. Now, come on, press in, get close to Jesus. Ain't nobody want to be in court. No, no, no mentally healthy person wants to be in relationship with someone that's keeping track of everything they do that's wrong, right? But if we say, hey, Jesus is your judge, and here's what we mean by that. We, we mean that one day you're going to be in the full presence of the one fully anointed to set you free. Now press it. No, that's a whole different thing. So, so there's a way to say something true, but we need to make sure we have an imagination of what that, how that functions. Sa same is true with the word Christian. So if I, if I say, are you a Christian? Well, some people, it, that doesn't really matter. What, what, I, like I, I got asked the other day by an atheist. They, he said, we were having a great conversation. He said, are you a Christian? And I said, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. He said, what do you mean you don't know? I said, well, I don't know what you think a Christian is. So if I say yes to whatever you think a Christian is, then I'm acquiescing to your primary image. So why don't you tell me what a Christian is, and then I'll tell you if I'm not, right? And so, and so we had a good chat around that, right? right? Because some people, some people hear Christian, and what they hear is people who believe something in order to go somewhere else. So, so we believe in Jesus so we can go to heaven when we die. Well, that's not Christianity, Christianity is not believing something to go somewhere else. Christianity really isn't even believing in Jesus. But, but believing in Jesus, demons believe in Jesus. Just to be a group of people who believe in Jesus just qualifies us to be a room of demons. It, the, Christianity is not people who believe in Jesus. Jesus is not somebody to believe in. Jesus is somebody to fundamentally shape the way we see the whole world. That's two different things. Like Christianity is a group of people who are trying to see the world how Jesus saw the world, see God how Jesus saw God, and apply Scripture how Jesus applied Scripture. Yeah. So that's what we're endeavoring to do. So um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start by telling a true story. This is a true story from the 80s. It'll serve as our primary imagination for what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, it's about an American tourist that came to Australia. Americans love Australian culture primarily because of Crocodile Dundee. We just love it. You, you do you, Anything Australian and American is going to make a lot of money, right? Because we, we love Australia. Any, any American that comes to Australia for the first time, the first thing they want to see is the outback, right? And I try to tell them, mate, you don't want to see the outback. Trust me, there's nothing there. F fly to Mount Isa, drive five minutes out of town, that is it, 3,000 miles of that. You'd much rather see Harvey Bay or, or, or Cairns or, you know, the, the, the Great Barrier Reef. Or There's just infinite things you could see better than the outback. They don't listen, right? So they come over, and Americans can't get their head around the outback. It's just vast swaths of absolutely nothing, right? We, we can't get our head around the size of the properties. My pastor's an old cattleman. He's 84 now. But as a young man, he ran a cattle property that was 70 miles long by 30 miles wide. Well, to an American, that's the state of Connecticut. Like that is, one person owns that, right? And so the American was looking at these cattle properties, and he, he had one m big question. And that is, how do you keep the cows from running away? It's reasonable, right? You can't fence up the whole property. It would be too expensive. You need a congressional act to build your wall, right? You couldn't do that. And so the American tourist asked the Australian farmer, he said, bro, how do you keep the cows from running away? You don't have fences around the whole thing. 
And the Australian farmer said, well, of course you can't fence up the whole property. What you do is you have a surveyor come in and dig strategic wells. And what you do is you create predictable water sources at predictable points in your paddocks. And he says, once the cows learn where the water is, they're not going to vary too far from that water. And the Australian farmer said to the American tourist, mate, <laughs> mate, <laughs> if you got the right wells, you don't need all those fences. Which leads me to Jesus. So Jesus shows up in the most fence-based paradigm of ministry maybe ever. 613 rules. Who's in? Who's out? Who's right? Who's wrong? Who's clean? Who's unclean? Jesus changed the whole thing to two fence posts. Love God and treat others as you would want to be treated. Do not be people obsessing about one verse you can find. Be people obsessing about how to fulfill scripture by doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. To see the world how Jesus saw the world. To see God how Jesus saw God. And to apply scripture how Jesus applied scripture requires that we do not obsess about one verse that disqualifies people. Rather, we obsess about how to fulfill scripture by doing unto others as we would have them do unto to us, which leads me to the book of Acts. The book of Acts is about a group of people who took Jesus seriously. They had this radical encounter with the Holy Spirit, and here's the entire first nine chapters of the book of Acts in 15 seconds. Ready? There's a group of people trying to see the world, God, and apply scripture, how Jesus saw the world, God, and applied scripture, and they started doing amazing things, and then they got persecuted for doing the amazing things, and then they overcame the persecution, did more amazing things, and then they got persecuted, and then they overcame the persecution, did more amazing things, and then they got persecuted, and then they did more amazing things, and then they got persecuted, and they did more amazing things, and they got persecuted. Then their friend named Stephen gets murdered. And once your friend gets murdered, even the most ardent follower of Jesus was like, we're going to take our show on the road to y'all chill out, right? And they end up in a place called Samaria. And they start doing amazing things. People try to buy the Holy Spirit from them. It's like an, uh, an amazing sort of thing. And, and then there's this guy named Philip, who was one of Jesus' disciples. And he has this weird encounter with a guy simply known as the Ethiopian eunuch. No name, no anything like that. Now, Bible study 101 is read the Bible in context, right? Here's the problem. What if there's no context? The, in Acts chapter 8, this story has nothing to do with anything before it. Nothing to do with anything after it. Luke obviously just had the story in his back pocket. And he's like, this is really important. And I'm going to just shove it right here. <laughs> right? And it is just the oddest story. But I think it makes us wrestle with what we're going to talk about tonight. And that is this. Are we going to be a fence-based place? Or are we going to be a well-based place? Are we going to be a church that builds a fence-based paradigm of ministry? Or are we going to be a church that builds a well-based paradigm of ministry? Because might. If you got the right wells, you don't need all those fences. Let's look at the story. Uh, this is Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go to the south to the road that goes down to Jerusalem from Gaza. This is a desert place. So he rose and he went. And there, there was an Ethiopian. He's a eunuch, um, a, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated on his chariot. And he was reading... The, the prophet Isaiah. Let's just start right there and let's, let's think about that. Th th this is already one of the weirdest stories in the whole Bible, and that's saying something, right? Because here's what you have so far, and it just literally makes no sense. There's an Ethiopian eunuch who rides a horse from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. Now, according to Google Maps, that's 3,853 kilometers. To put that in Australian terms, that's riding a horse from Melbourne to Mount Isa, turning right and going to Townsville. That is a long way. So, <laughs> This guy rides a horse for 3,853 kilometers, which might explain why he's a eunuch. Now, so he, he rides a horse for 3,853 kilometers. 
which leads to all kinds of questions like, like, was there not a place halfway? Like Mount Sinai's halfway. That's pretty holy. Like, why are you in Jerusalem, bro? And why are you clutching the scroll of a prophet that's calling out corrupt systems of political power against their misuse of the poor? And you obviously can't understand it. It's not your language. This story makes no sense. An Ethiopian eunuch rides a horse to Jerusalem clutching the scroll of a prophet he can't understand? That's weird. It gets weirder. Check this. Next slide. And the spirit said to Philip, we'll go over and join him. So Philip went over and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And he said, do you even understand what you're reading? And the eunuch sort of owns up like, no, right? He says, well, how can I? Unless someone guides me. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, now the passage of scripture he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he would keep going. Sheep, he was led to slaughter like a lamb for a shearer's silence. So he opens his mouth. In, in his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? His life was taken away from the earth. So the eunuch said to Philip, well, who's this guy talking about? Does the prophet talk, say this about himself? Or so, like his understanding of theology is incredibly elemental. Like he doesn't even know Isaiah's talking about himself, somebody else. He just knows he's talking about a God that does not exist above the story, rather a God that indwells in the broken story, even if the broken story kills him in order to redeem the broken story. Now that is a better look, that's a better primary imagination of God than a God sitting above the story choosing to use his infinite power or not. This is compelling. Some would call it good news, right? Now watch, watch what happens. Then, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with that scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, it came to some water, and the eunuch said, well, look, look, here's some water. Is there anything preventing me from being baptized? Now, if you're a note taker, that's, that's the critical phrase. That's where all the tension in the story is. Philip, can you think of a reason I can't be a part of the Jesus movement? Like, I want to be a part of everything Jesus is up to, but you're the Jesus expert, not me. Um, can you think, before I go any further, can you think of anything that would prevent me from doing this? And all the tension in the story is, there was definitely a reason this guy can't be baptized, and Philip would have known it, and it's in the Bible. And so the tension is, is Philip going to be right about one verse he knows about, or is he going to apply Scripture how Jesus taught him to apply Scripture by doing unto others as you would have them do unto you? And this is a critical moment here, right? So, and he, so he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down uh, into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Um, keep going. And, and when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. <laughs> what an odd story. That is just frankly weird, right? Now, this story leads me with questions. And if I have questions, that means you have questions. So I'm going to let you in on my questions, and maybe they're the same as you. Uh, next slide. So let, let's say it this way. Is there too much information in this passage? Like, do we really need to know this guy's a eunuch? Seriously? Five times. Oh, by the way, this guy's a eunuch. If I haven't mentioned this yet, he's a eunuch. Oh, by the way, this guy's... Do we really need to know he's missing part of his anatomy? Seriously? And if you're the eunuch, do you want the whole world knowing that? I can see the eunuch, I can see the eunuch right now in heaven confronting Luke. Like, really, bro? Really? You put that in the Bible, right? You know Willard can't read over that. Everybody's going to know I'm missing, you know. Right? Do we really need to... Like, honestly, do we really need to know that? And, and why is he choosing to worship in Jerusalem? That's weird. There were lots of holy places between Ethiopia and Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? That's weird. And why Isaiah? That's strange. Uh, next slide. Is there any reason why I can't be baptized? That's where all the tension in the story rises. Because what this passage is going to force us to wrestle with tonight is this. Are we going to be a fence-based place or a well-based place? Because when a foreigner Ethiopian nameless eunuch says to a follower of Jesus, Hey, I'd like to be a part of what God is up to. 
but you're the expert in Christ, not me. Can you think of any reason that would disqualify me? The tension in the story is there was a reason. And here's the problem. It's in the Bible. This is Deuteronomy 23, verse 1. No one who's been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter into the assembly of the Lord. God doesn't accept eunuchs. It's in the Bible. We have a verse for that. And if you don't ever hear anything else I ever say, hear me say this. If you want to ruin the Bible, and please don't ruin the Bible in my presence because I love the Bible. I've given my whole life to studying it, my whole life to, to communicating it in the most interesting ways and meaningful ways possible. You can ruin the Bible by reading it statically. The Bible's not a static record of God. The Bible is a dynamic, progressive, moving revelation of God leading to the final revelation of God in the risen Christ. The Bible is the word of God, but it is not the final word of God. The final word of God's a person. It's the risen Christ, right? Which is why none of you killed a goat today to be forgiven, okay? Even though the Bible says to kill a goat to be forgiven, it, it, none of you did that, right? Because the final word of God is the risen Christ. So the Bible says God doesn't accept eunuchs. So when a eunuch says, can you think of any reason to disqualify me? Philip would have been, yeah, I can. And Philip has a choice. Do I want to be right about Deuteronomy 23 verse 1? Or do I want to apply scripture how Jesus did by fulfilling it, treating others as you would have them treat you? And, and while Moses, Moses is on a roll with his fences, there's more fences in Deuteronomy 23, 1, 2, and 3 than Jesus' whole ministry. Like, and no one born of a forbidden marriage or any of their descendants made in the assembly of the Lord, not even 10 generations from now. I was born in 1976, and in my lifetime, I heard a youth pastor use that verse to convince teenagers to avoid premarital relationships because the idea was is if you mess up and get them pregnant, their kid will never be welcome in heaven. I heard that myself as a teenager, right? Now, of course, those people left the church. The church said, oh, my goodness, they rejected Jesus. No, they did not reject Jesus. They rejected the image of Jesus presented to them, and some images of Jesus should be rejected. That is Homer Simpson logic, right? And, <laughs> And, and, and no Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants may enter in the assembly of the Lord, not even 10 generations from now. No eunuchs, nobody born of suspicious circumstances, no Moabites, no Amalekites, more fences. And by the way, Jesus' presence himself was very confronting to this. If you check Jesus' genealogy, he's 128th Moabite, right? And there were certain, I don't know, certain questions around the circumstances regarding Jesus' birth, right? And so there are these fences in Deuteronomy 23, which leads to this question. Why Isaiah? Out of all the prophets, why is he interested in Isaiah? Well, in Isaiah 56, which is on the same scroll he was reading from, we read this. Let no foreigner who's bound to the Lord say the Lord will exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. That to them I'll give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than the sons and daughters. In other words, Isaiah says, upon further review, God's nicer than you think. And if a foreigner eunuch wants in on what God's doing, not only will God not exclude him, he'll give him a name better than the people who thought they were included. Right? Which is like, well, kick. Can you see why a foreigner eunuch might be interested in this? Can you see why a, a God that accepts foreigners and eunuchs? That's, that's me. Like, it keeps going. This gets better. 
I'll give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And the foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord, to minister to the Lord, to love the name of the Lord, to be, in other words, any foreigner that wants it, <laughs> all who keep my Sabbath without desecrating it, hold fast to my covenant. These I'll bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will in fact be accepted. For my, on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all, 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 even Amalekites, yeah, even Moabites, all, all nations. This is what I mean when I say you can't read the Bible statically. Deuteronomy 23, no eunuchs, no foreigners. Isaiah 56, upon further review, um, foreigners and eunuchs uh, who want in, God will not exclude them. God's nicer than you've ever imagined. By Matthew 19, Jesus said some people are born eunuchs because of God. If you can hear that, hear it. And by Acts 8, you have this radical encounter between a follower of Jesus named Philip and a foreigner eunuch, and the rubber meets the road. How are we going to apply the scripture? Are we going to be right about Deuteronomy 23 verse 1, or are we going to be right about Isaiah 56? Or are we going to do something more profound than being right altogether and choose to fulfill scripture by doing unto others as you would have them do unto you? Now, if you're a linear learner, you've already lost me, right? You're like, you're starting to phase out right? Narrative learners just love that, right? But if you're a linear learner, you're like, hmm, hmm. So I did this for you. Next slide. So there's two characters. There's an Ethiopian eunuch. He's a God-fearer. The problem is, is there's this one rule that would have disqualified him. Two, maybe. He's a foreigner, but he's definitely a eunuch. This is a problem. You have Philip, who's one of the original 12 from a devoutly orthodox village called Bethsaida. He would have lived by all 613 fences until he met Jesus. And Jesus taught him to apply scripture by fulfilling it instead of being right about one verse. And by the way, how did Jesus teach his followers to judge the merit of something? By the fruit it bears. And this encounter has massive fruit. Next slide. Today, two-thirds of Ethiopia identify as Christ followers. Ethiopian Christians are indigenous. They don't tend to move there. Uh, the Ethiopian church today traces their origins back to this one eunuch. In other words, you never know how far-reaching, because Philip was brave enough to fulfill Scripture instead of be right about it, because Philip was brave enough to be a well-based thinker instead of a fence-based thinker and disqualifying him. Because of that, two-thirds of an entire country are Christ followers today. In other words, we can fulfill Scripture today, or in 100 years, we might have to spend $10 billion evangelizing people that if we'd have just been nice in the first place. <laughs> right? And by the way, this is what the whole book of Acts is about. Next slide. The whole book of Acts is about being surprised by how generous God is with people who want it. Like, remember, there's this one time Peter was preaching, and it says the Holy Spirit filled the whole room, even the Gentiles, and this surprises everybody. Christ followers, Peter, everybody. Remember, the, the leaders were like, hey, Peter, explain yourself, bro. God doesn't fill Gentiles. Remember Peter's response? He's like, I know, I know. That's what I was taught my whole life, too. But then I saw him do it, and who am I to argue <laughs> with whatever God is up to? Now, that is my best effort explaining what happened. Now let's spend the rest of the time examining language around what's happening in us right now because of what happened. If you know me at all, you know I hate platitudes. Platitudes is when you say something obvious, but you can't explain it, right? So, and I hate that. Like if I say, hey, we walk in the spirit around here, right? And somebody says, what's that mean? It means we walk in the spirit, right? That's a, that's a platitude. If we don't have any language for it. 
It's when you say something obvious and have no language. So if I was to say, hey, Bayside Christian Church in Harvey Bay or wherever you're from. Hey, for right now we're at Bayside, right? Bayside Christian Church in Harvey Bay, we're a well-based place, not a fence-based place, right? That, nobody in here would disagree with that. No one's going to go, no, we need to make it much harder, right? Nobody is going to do that. But if we don't have language about what that looks like, it's a problem. So here's my best effort at that. Next slide. Jesus never asked, are you worthy? Jesus always asked, are you thirsty? So let's keep with our primary image. A fence-based place obsesses with who is worthy. A well-based place obsesses with who wants it. Who's thirsty? Jesus wasn't concerned with your worth. He was concerned with your want. It's, it's, so, so for us, we need to be less obsessed with who is worthy by rule-keeping and more obsessed with who wants it. Jesus had this profound way of seeing God that I'm trying to work into my life, and I'm nowhere near there, but I'm trying my hardest, right? And that is this. Jesus had such a profound trust in God that if someone wanted it, he just trusted God to do all the convicting and all the changing, and we're meant to cooperate with what God is doing, never manipulate it, right? Like, remember there's this one time Jesus was preaching to 5,000 people, which is obviously a metaphor for a lot of people, right? No one was going one, two, three, right? Right? <laughs> and it says... It says that in the middle of his sermon, everybody, everybody walked out. Now, that is horrible. I'm a communicator. That is terrible. Everybody walks out. Jesus turns to his disciples and says, are you, you going to leave too? And remember the disciples' response? They're like, where would we go? It's, it's, it's like, we don't understand what you're saying either, but we ain't got nowhere else to be, right? <laughs> so, <clears throat> so they say, they say, where would we go? And he goes, and he goes, well, I'm glad you're still with me. And they say, look, we don't mean, to, we're with you, Bo, but we don't mean to be Johnny Raincloud here, but they didn't buy what you were selling. <laughs> and remember, Jesus said, I know. But if the Father hasn't prepared their heart to hear what I'm saying, who am I to try to convince them? I'm thinking, wow, wow. So the way Jesus saw God was, you cooperate with what God is doing. All I got to know is, do you want it? So for Bayside Church, all we really want to know is, is do you desire it? Do you want it? Do you want everything God has for you? And if you do, we're going to trust God to do all the convicting and all the changing. And we're just here to facilitate and celebrate your next yes, whatever that yes might be. Let's say it this way. A fence-based place obsesses with who is worthy. A well-based place obsesses with who is thirsty. A fence-based place obsesses with sinning less. It sounds like this. We don't muck around with sin around here. We're going to call sin what it is and tell you to stop. Well, okay. And look, I agree with the sentiment. The less you engage in behavior to destroy yourself, the better your life will be. But to fight sin by forbidding it and fighting sin is like fighting fire with a spark gun. You don't fight sin by fighting it. You replace it with something better, right? And so a offense-based place obsesses with sinning less. A well-based place obsesses with loving more. And by loving more, we'll automatically sin less. A fence-based place obsesses with everything has to be fixed. It sounds like this. Bring us your brokenness. We'll insert our infinite wisdom and fix it for you. You just got to do what we tell you. Who wants that pressure? A well-based place says, no, nothing has to be hidden, right? We're going to create a shame-free culture where you can actually come just as you are, and you can bring all that stuff, all that broken story into the light, and we're going to trust God to do all the convicting and all the changing to move you by facilitating and celebrating your next yes. Let's say it this way. A fence-based place obsessed with who's worthy. A well-based place who's thirsty. A fence-based place on sinning less. A well-based place on loving more. 
A fence-based place on everything has to be fixed. A well-based place on nothing has to be hidden. It seems to me the enemy of a Christ-centered community is not sin. It's the lack of thirst. It's when we lose our want. It's when we lose our desire. Let's say it this way. Next slide. Let's put some language around that. A thirsty culture is a teachable culture. The, the root word for a disciple in Greek and Hebrew is student, one who's teachable. Like whoever the smartest person in the room is, when it comes to God, they haven't even scratched one one-thousandth of one percent of what God is. So the thought of, if I haven't thought of it, it can't possibly be true. We shut down discussions about God instead of building them up. Let's state it in the positive. A thirsty culture is a teachable culture. A thirsty culture is a humble culture. This is when we realize that liberty is best expressed and experienced when it's submitted to the higher ethic of love. That, that all the temptations of Jesus on the cross was, use your freedom to get even with us. And he, even in great stress, he wouldn't do this. This is why followers of Jesus should never proclaim freedom in Christ to justify not being humble to the weaker or more vulnerable person. A, 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 a thirsty culture doesn't do that. A thirsty culture is teachable. It's humble. It's responsible. In the Genesis story, even before sin entered the story, people got their meaning from how well they took responsibility for their world. And so when sin entered the story, first thing they did is start blaming each other. Let, let's say it another way. A, a, tea, a, a thirsty culture is passionate. It's not ambivalent. This is the problem with a fence-based model. A fence-based model obsesses on conversion only. So a fence-based model says, you're currently outside of our paddock. If you'll just convert and come in our paddock, that'd be awesome. So people go, fair enough, I'll convert, I'll come in your paddock. Now what? Well, um, welcome. Um, we sort of just sit on our butt and wait to go to heaven when we die, right? <laughs> and somebody says, well, that's boring. Look, if your Christianity is sitting on your butt waiting to go to heaven, that's just boring. Uh, unless you're 107. I mean, if you're 107 waiting to go to heaven, it's probably, I mean, it's, it's coming quickly, right? But, <laughs> but, if, but if you're not 107, that means you woke up today with infinite possibilities, let, let, let's say it this way. A thirsty culture is a teachable culture, a humble culture, a responsible culture, and a passionate culture. Yeah. Like, I don't care what you call it. For today, we'll call it church. That is not just a necessary thing. That's an essential thing for culture, for society. Like if an alien came from outer space and said, we've been studying you for years, and here's the thing. You have this word called church. We have no parallel for it in our planet. Can you please explain to me what church is, please? And if our answer is something boring, then it's something boring. But what if our answer was, okay, church is a group of people who are intentionally trying to see the world, God, and apply scripture, how Jesus saw the world, God, and applied scripture. It means that we are um, obsessing on who, is on who is thirsty, not who is worthy. We're obsessing on loving more, not sinning less. We're obsessing on nothing has to be hidden instead of everything has to be fixed. And what that's created is it's created a culture of teachable, humble, responsible, and passionate people about the infinite possibilities for our world. Well, you call that anything. Church works, and it's not just necessary, it's essential. Let's put some more language around this. Next slide. Let's, let's say it this way. The overuse of fences is not necessary if there's a well-stocked well. There were 613 fences in the Old Testament. Jesus had two fence posts. Love God and treat others as you'd want to be treated. Fulfill Scripture, not obsess about being right about it. By Acts 15, they dumbed it down to four. We could talk forever about Jesus' impact over 2,000 years, but just think about his impact in the first ten. He moved the whole system from 613 fences to four in the first 10 years with the goal of getting to two. In Acts 15, there were four fences. There was food sacrifice to idols, blood, meat of strangled animals, and sexual immorality. Those were the four that were left. Let, let, let's say it this way. Next slide. Are we gravitating to the center regardless of the fencing? 
As followers of Jesus, if you need the fence to still gravitate to the center, we've missed the point. I don't know if I'm illustrating this right. So let me illustrate this. So I'm going to give you a few fences that we definitely should keep just for civilized society. Um, and they're really good. They're found in Scripture. They're really good ideas, okay? Like, here's one. Ready? Don't kill each other, right? It's really good. That's a really good plan, right? And, and here's the thing, right? I would bet that no one in here killed anybody this week, right? Well, I don't know all of your testimonies, okay? But I, I would bet, I'd bet no one in here killed anybody this week, right? I would also bet that the reason you didn't kill somebody is not because the Bible says. It's because you're not a killer, and if you need the Bible to tell you don't kill, I reckon you've missed the whole point, right? Well, here's another good one. Don't take each other's things, right? And I would bet no one stole anything in this room this week. I would also bet the reason you didn't is not because the Bible says. It's because you're not a thief. And if you need the Bible to tell you don't steal, I reckon you've missed the whole point. Oh, here's another good one. Don't sleep with each other's spouses. That's a really good plan. Your life, your wife, and your stuff need to be protected. Just for civilization. And I, and I would bet that currently right now, no one in here is currently sleeping with someone else's spouse. Now, if you're here right now and your heart's starting to beat real fast, you're like, oh, God, don't go prophetic. Oh, no. <laughs> if, that's, if that's you, change your life. <laughs> and don't tell us about it. Don't drag us into your mess. Just stop. Right? But, but I would bet that no one right now is currently sleeping with someone else's spouse. I would also bet the reason is not because the Bible says because you don't want to bring despair on people you love and darkness and tear up everything you, that matters to you. Like, if you don't get what I'm saying, here's what I want you to do when this is over and you get home. I want you to pour each other your um, night beverage of choice, whatever that might be. And, and I want you to hold each other by the hands. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to tell your spouse, sweetie, I just want you to know I love you so much. Love is not a big enough word. It's like infinite. It's, just like I, there's, it's almost like I feel like I'm doing disservice to how much I love you by just saying, I love you. It's just that much. But here's the thing. The only reason that I'm not sleeping with everybody else is unfortunately the Bible forbids it. See how your night goes, right? <laughs> There's a more profound reason to head to the center because fences matter less if we're heading to the center anyway. Let, let's, let's use one more analogy on this. A, 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 well a fence-based place obsesses on distance. A well-based place obsesses on direction. And can celebrate and facilitate that person's next yes. Let me illustrate this with a true story. Um, I was asked to do a volunteers night at a gigantic church. Let me define that. It was a Tuesday night meeting. 400 and something people were in the meeting. And to be in the meeting, you had to be on team. Okay, so a big church, right? And they, they're a well-based place. And they had this awesome, awesome sort of part of it. It was called Minute to Win It. And so anybody in the whole crowd could come up impromptu, grab a mic, and tell a God story so long as you could tell the story in 60 seconds or less. And everybody got into the culture of it. They're cheering, and it's raucous. And they got a guy on a stopwatch. And if it hit 60 seconds, the sound guy muted you. And they took the mic, and it kept people from rambling. And everybody got in. It was just brilliant. And so I had to get up next. And the last guy, and I want you to pay very close attention to your heart when I tell you this story. Pay very close attention to what your spirit does, okay? I was up next, and the guy gets up, and he says, this is the last guy. He says, hello, everybody. I'm an atheist. And I thought, he was serious. And I thought, mate, are you not paying attention? You're killing a party here, right? <laughs> and, he, and I thought, well, he's only got 60 seconds. He said, but I was a lonely atheist. And my friend told me that you didn't care whether I believed in God or not, to let me belong to your thing. 
And so I tried it out. And sure enough, none of you care whether I believe in God or not to let me be a part of things here. By the second week, one of you asked me to be on the host and hostess team. And I said yes. And so every Sunday, my job is to stand on the door and be friendly and show people where the bathroom is. And um, I'm loving it. He said, you are a church with an atheist door greeter. And I thought, this is amazing. This is the best. He said, and my story is this. Because of your kindness, I'm going to step back tonight and reconsider God might be real. <laughs> exactly. Like, see what happens there? Like, a well-based place can do that. A fence-based place can't. A fence-based place would be like, yeah, but he, does he believe in all of our things? And has he ticked all of our donkey? You know, to be a part of our ministry team, he's got it right, right? What if he dies in a donkey accident? Like, no, no, wait, what are you talking about? Like, like what, are you, what are you talking about? This guy's shoulder is facing the center, and we are meant to facilitate and celebrate that guy's next yes. Because when an atheist considers God might be real, that's a pretty profound yes in the correct direction. Let's say it uh, this way. Next slide. In old communities, the whole village centered around the well. What if we build wells instead of fences? We create thirst and life and abundance and desire and just never-ending journey. Let's say it this way. Next slide. Um, Jesus was a fence destroyer and a well inviter. Philip ignores all the fences and just keeps talking about the well. Can you think of any reason I can't be baptized? Yes, I can, but don't worry about that. Because Jesus taught us to apply scripture different. And that is to treat you as I want to be treated. I want to fulfill scripture. In other words, we don't need any fence that doesn't lead to the well. And any fence that stands as a hurdle to the well has missed the entire point. Which leads me to Jesus. So every year, to this day, 2021, actually, it'll be next week. Every year, to this day, Jews everywhere... Choose to live outside in tents, which is odd, isn't it? If I say, hey, I got an idea. Let's spend seven days in a tent every year. You'd say, why? Is the Novotel not open? Like, what's, what are you talking about? Right? The, the reason is, is because they come from a lineage of homeless refugee slaves who wandered the wilderness. And so what they do is they spend seven days a year reminding themselves, and they make a confession. My father was a wandering Aramean. In other words, my father was a homeless refugee slave. And if God had not interjected himself into our story, we would still be homeless refugee slaves. Because if we ever lose sight of where we'd be, had God not interjected himself into our story, we'll lose our responsibility in their story. And they do this every year. And in Jerusalem, if you happen to be there, I happened to be in Jerusalem once during the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. It's unbelievable. And if you're in Jerusalem, they have a closing ceremony. And where would they have a closing ceremony? At the temple. It's in that context. Every Jew within walking distance is standing at the temple. And Jesus says, in my opinion, in the top three most radical things he ever said, check this. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Of this he was speaking of the Spirit. <laughs> um, uh, you, know, um, you know the full presence of God that you've been told your whole life has been relegated to the inner room of this building and only available to certain elite people? We're changing the rule. It's now available to everybody. Well, what must we do? Want it? 
Do you want it? Then you can have it. Now, I'm going to reread this scripture, and I'm going to add two words. I'm admitting I'm adding two words for effect, but I want you to pay attention as just how radical this is. Let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Of this he was speaking of the Spirit. Any questions? Imagine if Jesus would have had a Q&A right then. Uh, what if they're eunuchs? Yep, eunuchs are welcome as long as they want. But Deuteronomy 23, I know what Deuteronomy 23 says, but Isaiah 56 says if they want it, God will not exclude them. And plus, I'm teaching a whole different way of applying these things. We're going to fulfill Scripture instead of being right about them, right? Um, what, what about Moabites? Yeah, I'm 20, 120th Moabite myself. And yes, if you're a Moabite, you're welcome to be a part of what God is doing in Christ all around. Amalekites? Yep, yep. Sidonites? Yep, yep. We can go through all 613 fences, or we can believe in such a way that changes the way we see the whole world. And if someone wants it, the full measure of the Spirit is going to be given to them. Yeah. Yeah. But I have a rash no one knows about. I know, sir. I know. And please keep your rash to yourself and go get some cream. But if you want it, you can have it too. See, what I want us to be is Jesus people. What do I mean by that? See the world how he did. See God how he did and apply scripture how he did. Christianity is not a group of people waiting to go to heaven, finding different ways to exclude people. Christianity is people bringing heaven here while honoring going to heaven when we die. Our job is to see the world how Jesus saw the world, see God how Jesus saw God, and apply scripture that way. Now, great sermons are not meant to be agreed with nor disagreed with. They're meant to be wrestled with for application. Like, what do we do with this? So let's, let's wrestle for a second. Next slide. Um, when's the last time I saw God do something that made me uncomfortable? Like, I saw it. I knew it was God, but I didn't think God did that. Well, one of my best friends in the world is a guy named Richard Crisco. Richard Crisco, if you're over 40, you probably remember, he was the youth pastor at the Brownsville Revival. Um, the Browns Revival, for those of you who've never heard of it, was a phenomenon that happened in the, in the mid-90s in Pensacola, Florida. Um, it was, this is a caricature, but it was 10,000 people every day for seven years. People were lining up at 6 a.m. for 7 p.m. meetings. Um, that's how crazy, like, so it was just unbelievable. So I was having dinner with Richard, and we, we talk every week. He's a good friend of mine. And um, I was having dinner with Richard, and I said, tell me a story from Brownsville that you didn't think was possible. Like, you just didn't think God could do that. He said, oh, that's easy. He said, there was this one night. It was 2.30 in the morning. He said, now keep in mind, we'd been there since 6 a.m. And we had to be there at 6 a.m. again and again and again. It's 2.30 in the morning, and there was still a line out the door waiting for us to pray for them. He said, but God was doing amazing things, so you just do it. And he said, there was a group of young adults. If you came after midnight, you didn't have to wait in line. You could just go up in the balcony and watch. And this group of young adults came. It was about... You know, 2.30 in the morning, there was a few of them, like early 20s. And they were doing Saturday Night Live skits. So they were making fun of us. They were pretending to pray for one another. They'd pretend to, you know, get touched. And they would do funny things. Everybody clap and laugh. And they thought it was hilarious. And he said, uh, I think in my tiredness, I said, God, send a bear to eat them. <laughs> he said, next thing I knew, they were down here. And I thought they brought their show down here. And I, I wasn't mad at him. I just wanted him to go away. So I walked over with security and said, hey, guys, you're going to have to take your show somewhere else. He said, the leader said to me, please, sir, help me. And Richard Crisco said, what happened to you? He said, well, I don't know if you noticed, but we were up there making fun of you. And he said, I noticed. 
and he said, well, we were doing these skits, and this is our friend Pete, and Pete had been in a motorbike accident, been paralyzed in his legs, needed a wheelchair. He said, so what, what we did was we tied strings to his ankles, his knees, his wrist, his elbows, and uh, we put the strings on these poles, and so all of us had a pole, and I was going to pretend to pray for him, and then we were going to move him around like a puppet, right? Because with friends like that, you know. And Crisco said, well, what happened? He said, well, he said, I pretended to pray for him. And Pete said that a fire went through him and he stood up. And I realized I'm dealing with something out of my pay grade. Can you help me? And Richard Crisco said, can God use an atheist to pray for another atheist with the intent of making fun and show him how much he loves him by healing him? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> And he said, me neither, but then I saw it happen. And who am I to argue by putting fences around whatever God's doing? Um, I would say if we haven't seen God make us uncomfortable, it's not because God stopped, it's because we quit paying attention. Um, have I honored right, wrong, in and out, clean and unclean over a hungry, thirsty paradigm? Am I blaming anybody right now instead of taking responsibility for where I am in life? To the level we blame is the level we disempower ourselves to change our life. A responsible culture. A am I teachable? Can I not wait to learn the next thing in God? Am I a flexible person? Like if God saw fit to fill them in the Holy Spirit, who am I to argue? But the biggest question I want us to wrestle with is this. Are we going to dig deeper wells or build higher fences? Are we going to be a fence-based place? Are we going to take that step of faith and be a well-based place? What does that mean? It means we obsess with who is thirsty, not who is worthy. We obsess with loving more, not sending less. We obsess with nothing has to be hidden instead of everything has to be fixed. We obsess with direction and not distance. That we are teachable, humble, responsible, and passionate about the infinite possibilities for our world. May we be that kind of place to fulfill scripture instead of simply being right about one fence we can find. May we do that. May we see the world how Jesus saw the world, God how Jesus saw God, and apply scripture how Jesus applied scripture. I hope Jesus got bigger for you tonight. The cross worked better. The resurrection is central and scriptures got bigger, not smaller. Lord, would you give us the courage to see things different? The irresistible urge to respond to what we see. May we be doers and not just hearers. Empower us to dig deeper wells instead of building higher fences. Give us the bravery to do that. Would you look this way? Thanks so much for me to be a part of your life. I hope Jesus got bigger. The cross worked better. The resurrection is central. Scriptures got bigger, not smaller. Come on back tomorrow night at 7. I promise you I have something set aside that will change your life. If you come tomorrow night and your life isn't changed by 5 or 10 after 8, I'll personally, out of my own pocket, refund whatever they charge you to come. All right? So whatever the ticket costs, I'll just give it back. All right? Totally risk-free. Okay. Grace and peace, everybody. God bless. Thank you for joining us. The Bayside Christian Church community aims to transform our city and beyond with the life and power of Jesus Christ. If you want to know more or just keep in touch, check us out at www.baysidechristianchurch.com.au or follow us on our social media sites at Bayside Christian Church.